Hello, everyone. Welcome to Access Chat. Today, we have a guest that's returning for a second time, and we're so excited about this conversation. So, um, and Neil's going to magically appear in the window at some point. That's what he said. So, I do hope it's magical when he appears, Antonio, don't you? So, um, but Tara, welcome back to the program. Remind everybody who you are and how you got in this field. And obviously, you did something right in your past lives because you have a dream job. I, so, wow. I, I really do have a dream job. It's great. So hello, everyone. In case you don't remember me, I think my hair was pink or orange or, or something. So, it, you know, I'm hard to keep track of. But uh so I work in video games, which is why I have the best job in the world. Um, so I'm currently the accessibility lead for Xbox Game Studios. So I work with all of our, our, our studios and their games to help make you know games more accessible for people with disabilities. And it's a bit of everything. It's some consulting, it's educational programs, it's working with user research, an amazing test team, and... When I'm not doing that in my copious free time, um, I'm the co-director of the Game Accessibility Conference, a conference that happens twice a year, once uh, in London, once somewhere in the U.S., um, you know, working to educate developers. So this is literally all I do all the time is talk about video games and how to help people with disabilities be able to play them. So um, are you a gamer? <laughs> I just uh, am going to assume that, but it's just, uh, I, I just want to ask. I am. I'm. I'm a huge gamer, um, and I've I've always been a big gamer since I was very very young. Uh, both my mom and my dad also played video games, um, and gamer you know, family. It, it, we 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 were a gamer family, so I've always played them. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I'm so into accessibility. In video games is actually when I was uh, when I was young, I was ten or eleven. I was actually uh, I was hit by a car <laughs> while I was walking home from school one day, oh. and it uh, obviously I had some pretty severe injuries, um, including like a broken hip, and so I couldn't you know go outside and play with my friends like I had been doing previously. But what I could do is still play video games with my friends, and so video gaming was a huge part of my recovery. But like what ended up sticking with me was like I, I had like broken my arm and all this other stuff. So I had to hold the controller like because my arm was like in this L-shaped cast. I had to like hold it awkwardly near my armpit, but I could still play. But like remembering how weird it was to try to hold the controller like as an adult when I later started learning more about accessibility, like it clicked from that childhood memory. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I get this. But also, I know how important literally gaming was to me in that moment. Like, oh, no, no, we should we should work on this. We can do better. And now it's just literally all I do. <laughs> well, I remember whenever um, my son is 33, just to give everybody some context. And we used to make fun of him and his friends. And we'd say, it's not as if you're going to be able to grow up and, you know, be a video gamer. So you got to do stuff in the world. And it, there's not any job. Yeah. So obviously we were wrong. And, and Tara, before we got on, I'd mentioned um, someone that I, I've interviewed um, who is an amazing designer and one of the designers of Xbox. His name is August De Los Reyes. And I don't know if you know him, but he's amazing designer. Um, and if you don't, I'll connect you with him because he actually was working with Xbox and he was the designer I don't know exactly what that means when somebody says that, but it sounds cool to me. But he became a quadriplegic during it. And as it happened, um, 
he, you know, he went to Xbox and they're like, well, we think that probably even makes you a better designer. And I agree with that. So they were very, very flexible um, with him. And, and that really impressed me as a company. Do you, have you found that as well? I, I have. So I'm actually the, the outgoing lead of uh, an employee resource group at oh he did magically appear he did <laughs> magically appear. he said it would happen and then it did <laughs> um so i'm actually the outgoing lead of an employee resource group uh, called gaming and disability we have a whole series of Ooh. ergs uh for underrepresented groups in gaming specifically and one of the reasons that i had been lead of this erg is really you know xbox and to the larger extent microsoft like really makes it easy to just be a disabled person uh, and come forward with that version of yourself and all of the good and bad that comes with that. Um, and, you know, allowing people to bring their unique perspectives and everything they learned to put into the product and, and make it better. And it was honestly the programs like that that made me come to Microsoft in the first place. It was one of the places that I was just like, not to sound like some kind of Microsoft shill right now, but like it was, it was, you know, the, the stuff like the, these ERGs and the gaming for everyone program specifically that I was just like, I feel like I could make a difference and help make the gaming industry better. If I were over there, like I need to get in and, and, and help. And I agree. Yeah. I agree. You want to be an influence in there. And I just want to also not brag about Microsoft, but the reality, if Microsoft had not made accessibility a commitment as early as uh, 3.1 there was accessibility features in there. Um, my company, Tech Access, couldn't have existed where 90% of the technologists that worked for me had severe disabilities. So, sorry, I'm also a big fan of Microsoft. I am. I appreciate all the stuff that they've done. And I love some people at Microsoft too. So, uh, including you, Tara. I, there's some really amazing people. Yeah, there's some amazing... I just interviewed David Dom. Oh, He's oh. fantastic. He oh my God. How did not, not to like fangirl over him or anything. No, no I'm but, a fangirl too. Wow. Uh, there was, um, so as part of the, the ERGs that I mentioned, um, we were having a panel for a part of Xbox um, that I was moderating and he was on the panel. And just as he was talking, I was just like, he's so smart. He's oh my so gosh. smart. I was just like, why, why am I even here? Like I shouldn't Maybe be moderating. You. you should. <laughs> no, we need you. And, and he's coming on access chat. Yay. But he said something on my interview with him and I'd love to interview on human potential too, but he, um, he asked the hundreds of employees that work for him, what it was like to work for a disabled manager. And and I was like, oh, I love that question. I love that he would ask that question. So I'm so impressed with him. But anyway, uh, I'll stop. Um, Neil, thank you for magically joining us. Um, I don't know if you or Antonio would like to step in this girls' conversation we're having. Oh, Y'all can. I was I was enjoying being a, a spectator, sideshow <laughs> box for once. Um, so, so Tara, thank you for joining us, and apologies for me being late to my own party. <laughs> Um, it's a pleasure to have you back. I think your hair color is is almost almost back to the color it was when we first interviewed we were within all of those years ago. I, I wasn't I sure. Okay. I, I know we were thinking it was orange though. Yeah. But no, I, no it, it, it was blue, but a little bit darker. Oh, okay. Well, I have no worries. No, I, 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 yes, I just look at the at the previous one. 
So because I really want because we know that we we started this adventure of access chat um, a few a few years ago and many things have changed in the way how we talk about accessibility mm-hmm. uh, how it became normalized a more common word in in, in the tech industry and, and that is what is taking me to to ask Tara about what from the last time that we talk what type of changes have you noticed no particularly on the game in the game industry because i know that you ian and others have been evangelizing this for so long. And I wonder uh, what are the outcomes that you've seen? It's been a huge shift in the industry since last time um, I was on. So like one notable difference is I wasn't actually working full-time accessibility last time I was on. In gaming, there weren't accessibility jobs. So you could either do uh, what Ian is still doing, which is independent consulting with different companies. I find that way too stressful. (laughs) I cannot handle not 100% knowing like when my next paycheck is coming in or how much it is. So like props to Ian for being able to handle that lifestyle. Um, Or so again, either consulting or getting a job at a studio, which is what I was doing at the time and using your position within the studio to influence accessibility. So at that time I was a producer um, at a video game studio and a producer helps organize all the scheduling and all of that stuff. So when building out a schedule, I could ensure there was time baked in to do accessibility work. And that was, you know, on the side, Ian and I had started running the game accessibility conference it was still very much in its infancy, even though like Ian and I had been doing it, I, I advocating for gaming accessibility since the dawn of time, I believe. <laughs> there, but there hadn't been a lot of like shifts. We were just starting to see some cool things happen versus now, you know, I I have a team. Like there, there's a team of people working full time on accessibility in gaming, which, you know, that literally did not exist a few years ago. And you see those impacts happening in the industry of we've had games come out since then, like um, The Last of Us Part Two, which is fully playable by people with no vision, by blind folk. And that is something that, you know, if, if, if you had asked me, you know, last time I was on like, oh, Tara, will there ever be a AAA game release that is 100% playable without sighted assistance? I'd have been like, eh, I don't know. I like it would, I, I would have wanted it to happen, but I also probably would have just doubted that people would ever put um, just like the time to literally learn about blind gamers to make that. And we have those now. And it's been really great because there's every, essentially every year now, like the bar is being raised on like what players will accept uh, what they expect even as a standard of accessibility in video games. And, you know, for me, it's really fun because um, like Ubisoft is a publisher that has had, um, you know, accessibility that they've been putting in their products and openly talking about for a long time. And so I, I love that basically I feel like my team and David Tisserand's team over at Ubisoft, were in this kind of like, war of like arms race of one upping each other to try to figure out what we can do to be the most accessible publisher. I get like that. The fact that I even got to say that sentence that there are people competing to be the most accessible game company is not something that would have happened last time I was on here. That did not exist. It wasn't a thing. uh, It's been amazing and and, and wonderful to watch actually. The, 
the speed at which accessibility has just caught on in the gaming industry. You know, we're, Antonio and I work in you know more traditional tech, and whilst you know it has you know been there a long time, the speed of adoption within gaming has been just phenomenal. You know, we've watched it go from zero to hundred mile an hour um, within the space of about four to five years, and. and that's credit to you and Ian and the you know the pioneers and the and the community spirit that you've engendered. So you know, fabulous, and it's why I wanted to invite you back here because I think it's gaming is one of the biggest success stories for accessibility that we have. You know, that and you know all of our sort of connected home devices you know it's, it's the it, these are the, the the areas where accessibility has suddenly become something that's embedded in the stuff that everybody does so congratulations and, and, and it's great that actually that you're talking about that competition so what are the things that are, 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 that are the, the sort of bleeding edge that you're competing on so honestly the the biggest thing is that we, we've gotten some basics down that, you know, everyone's products are, are sort of hitting now. Like even last time I came on, well, even st I, I want to say last time I came on, but it's actually still a problem. Um, like subtitles in games like are still really bad. <laughs> um, text size is still really bad. But those are things that like we have a consistency, you know, coming out of the stuff coming out of Xbox Game Studios. And, you know, Ubisoft is also definitely doing it, having this consistency. And so now we're trying to like, one up different types of features for different communities. So like I was really excited because uh, earlier this year, uh, Forza Horizon 5, which is an amazing racing game, I'm obviously biased. Um, we launched a patch that took all of the cinematics in game and added either ASL or BSL picture to picture options that you could use. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was something that we were having conversations with literally, uh, gamers with disabilities we actually have a workshop that is we bring in different gamers with disabilities and just let them tell their stories to the developers so they can understand because who knows their life better than literally the person living it and you know one of the things that that got talked about was how reading subtitles could be exhausting for uh, a deaf person especially if their first language is a sign language and not english and uh, you know the developer had or the dev team had a French developer living in England and he was just like, Oh my God, it is exhausting existing in your second language all the time. And he was just like that, that thing was something so similar and connected, even though, you know, one, the, the first language was different, but it meant the same thing. And he was like, I'd be so upset. Like if I couldn't turn a game to French and I had to do it in English, like, yes, I speak English, but like, it's not my first language. Um, and that story kind of was just like, how hard would it be to add sign language into a video game? And so like, now we have sign language in the game. And I was really excited about that. But then Ubisoft is over here launching games like um, Immortals Phoenix Rising that has amazing cognitive accessibility Ooh. in um, these kind of puzzles and assists. And like, we don't have anything like that yet. So it's just like, ah, oh, okay, well, we did a great thing for this community. Oh, but look at what they did. Okay, now we've got to go do something. Um, and it's, you know, like, that's kind of how this arms race keeps going, but we keep learning and stealing from each other. I love that though. That's <laughs> for our community. So, so, so this is 
brings me back to one of the things that Ian was talking about all of that time back was sort of sometimes you have to design in things that are difficult because that's part of the game. And I think we've also had interviews with people that are, that are doing e-learning and online learning design. And I think that, that probably some of the stuff that, that you're doing in gaming could really benefit the e-learning community because I don't think that there's been anywhere near the sort of pace of adoption and, and enthusiasm for accessibility in that community that there has been in gaming. And, and to be frank, it's certainly not as interesting or engaging. And we could do with some of the um, the energy from gaming, which is essentially learning, because you, every time you play a game, you learn stuff and you figure out how to do things. Um, to to change the pedagogy of, of how we get people to adapt and adopt new skills within organizations. So the fact that you've been doing this accessibly and you're embedding ways of accessing stuff and innovating on it, I think could be really beneficial to all kinds of organizations where perhaps you know people don't see themselves as gamers, you know, they or or that it's you know, oh we're corporate, we you know, I, I can't admit to playing games. I mean, it's quite interesting to see actually how many people are casual gamers as well. So, I mean, I'm I'm not a big console gamer. I did find, I moved house recently, I did find my PS2 in the lock. But, but look, the PS2 is a classic console. There are amazing games on the PS2. <laughs> I've, still got, I've still got Gran Turismo, you know. Uh, but, but, um, but I do think that, you know, that that casual gaming and gamification of learning has real benefits for organizations, that we could do more with that to help people, you know, learn and adapt and adopt new skills because there's this sort of inertia within organizations when we say, oh, why aren't, you know, organizations digitally transforming? We've got all of this stuff. Well, it's partly it's inertia, it's fear, it's lack of engagement. And then how do we make that accessible? Well, we can also learn from the gaming community on that. So how can we get the two communities to, to talk to each other? It's been really interesting, like having worked both sides of like, um, I did some website and app accessibility briefly um, before kind of hopping back into video games. And it's, it's just been fascinating in that there's a different problem set and different technologies and a lot of more traditional accessibility, like hasn't necessarily understood that uh, a lot of things we do have to be bespoke. Um, like for example, when you make a video game, you have to really work to get a screen reader to work. For example, you make a website and you got, you may accidentally have a website that works with a screen reader if you just did your HTML, right? Like gaming doesn't get any of those easy wins. And it means that we have to work in a different way towards accessibility to get it in. Like everything has to be intentional. And that should be true in other forms of tech. But I think the biggest thing that like we need to talk about and interact with more is basically because our text is so different, we operate different but I think you're seeing the, the end results of that. But it also means that we don't overlap a ton. Like we don't go to the same conferences. We don't, um, you know, 
learn, read the, I don't want to say we don't read the same articles. That's not true. Cause there is a lot of cross learning for us, but the places that we go to learn aren't always um, where other accessibility people are. Like a lot of times you're like, I'll go to the game developers conference where they're debuting new stuff about unreal engine. And I'm not really going to run into people from other areas of accessibility who aren't in gaming. Um, and so I think we have to find those moments where things definitely apply to both of us. Like I absolutely love listening to um, basically anything about champs programs. Cause like I run a champs program and yeah. like, that is something that exists in both worlds. But uh, you know, unless people are kind of advertising specifically that, Hey, this is like technology agnostic. Like a lot of times game accessibility, people aren't going to show up because we're like, Oh, they're going to talk about this thing and we can't even use that. And then it just makes us sad. <laughs> Yeah, I, and, and I get that. And when we do have a chance program too, it's great that organisations are adopting them. Um, but I think that when we look at sort of micro learnings and immersive tech, you know, there are areas where, in what seems like grey and dull corporate world, we're we're doing quite a lot of stuff using similar engines, similar kind of technologies to do slightly different things and we could learn from you. So for example, we do a lot with digital twins, um, looking at how we can, you know, create these virtual environments that are you know, digital copies of real things so that people are solving problems for in power plants or, you know, all sorts of complex environments. And we should be able to learn from you how to make them accessible so you know people are doing sort of virtual conferences and you see there are all of these sort of virtual conference platforms with this sort of slightly crummy avatars um where everyone yeah. sort of walks up to each other and is sort of doing all of this and i'm thinking <laughs> you know gaming has this sorted already you know so so how do we sort of bring the people from gaming no. No. Let, let me interrupt that because, you know, I think Tara already gave us uh, some ideas on that because they have run sessions and they invite by them. And I believe other industries haven't done that right. So I think that that is probably a way to start, you know, and, and, and that's, that's where my question was going is, you know, um, why, why they felt that they needed to engage with community with disabilities and what methodologies have they used to make sure that they were able to capture the best information to make it useful for the people developing the games. It, for, so for us, you know, the, the mantra of the community has always been nothing about us without us. So the easiest thing to do to, inc you know, make sure you're solving the needs for disabled people is be like, what are your problems? And then work on it and bring it back and be like, did this solve the problem? <laughs> um, you know, there, there have been so many times that like very well-intentioned people without disabilities make something and it's just like that is not at all what I needed or like that actually doesn't solve the problem at all. And a really great example, actually, we had this happen in one of our products. Um, so Forza Horizon 4, um, as they were working on it for a demo that they were putting out at a, a big conference called E3, they made a one-handed uh, version of the control scheme that could be used. And they were really excited to have this one-handed control scheme. And there are some people who only can use one hand who are able to use it. But when we had uh, people with disabilities come in, one of the gamers we had is someone who 
um, can only play with one hand. And they were like, oh, well, you should be good. We've got the one-handed control scheme. And he was actually like, actually, no, based on how, uh, because of the functionality I have in my hand, like I actually can't do that. And also here's why I think even if I could hold that, like, I think that would be terrible. And it was just like this moment of just like, Oh, you guys, did we actually ask anyone like <laughs> this? If, did this address the issue? Exactly. And so, you know, after literally just being able to talk to a gamer who plays with one hand, they were able to be like, oh, you know what? Rather than us make a crazy contr preset control scheme, like, why don't we just have customizable controls that you can remap things however you want? And, you know, that solved it. And there, there are just so many times that our devs don't, I mean, they don't know what they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And when you bring in, you know, different gamers with disabilities and you get to hear, I mean, the good, bad, the ugly, you know, they'll come in and, oh my God, like, Gamers are so persistent. Like they are amazingly persistent. And if they want to play a game, they will find a way to play that game. And they will have like, oh, here is the eight step process that mm -hmm. I use with this remapping software and a virtual keyboard and then this thing and then this thing and this thing. And when I do all of that, then I can play this game. And like the devs will just sit there being like, wow, they really wanted to play the game. Also, wait, what? If I had to do that to play a game, I wouldn't play games. That's exhausting. But normally they'll hear something, they'll be like, you guys realize if we just put this thing in game, like you can knock that seven, you know, steps down to one, right? Like maybe we should just put that in the game. And, you know, it solves so many, so many uh, problems and you know, it, it spurs innovation as well when they get to talk to gamers with disabilities and hear what they want. I There have been amazing features that have been added and the massive benefit is, you know, gaming is growing and as we continue to grow, like we will reach into new markets, places that, you know, mm -hmm. traditionally maybe they weren't hardcore gamers. And if you didn't grow up being a hardcore gamer and you go to jump into some of these games, like you'll get wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, having some of these options that were initially thought of, you know, for gamers with disabilities are also incredibly useful for people who are newer and coming in and um, don't have that lifelong gaming experience that others have had. Uh, or, or, or people on a Friday night that have had a couple of drinks and still want to play a driving game. <laughs> but I love that you listen to your audience because we still are not really doing that. And so I love that the gamers are protecting the gamers. I, I just really appreciate that. I, there's stupid stuff I see. Like it, one thing I personally hate as an older person is when I'm watching a movie and they're texting, the characters are texting with each other and they're showing you these little tiny fonts that I can't see. And it, it, it irritates me. It's like, why are you doing that? I don't want to look at your little tiny scripts. So I just really like that you're listening to the users and you have a lot of people with disabilities that are users. Like you said, look at the motivation they take to figure out how to play those games. So I just, I think we all can learn so much from what you're doing, Tara. And I appreciate you and Ian's work because you're including people. We should all be included. So uh, that's your work's very powerful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't embarrass you. <laughs> oh, don't. No, we're, we're good at that. But um, but I do I do genuinely think that 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 kind of community spirit is is really strong. Not you know, and and I, I you know, find the point you made about casual gaming. I think is really hot. 
to Hot Point um, because I I don't think people really appreciated quite how big casual gaming would become, and sometimes it doesn't actually become that casual as well because I. As I said, I hadn't had a console out for ages. It didn't mean that I don't play games. I just happened to be, you know, addicted to playing the games on my phone because they could be played at points in time when I you know, had had the sort of bandwidth to do it, and you know, that wasn't usually when I was sat in front of a TV. So, um, but they need to find features and find ways to sort of wrap them in. So maybe that's the the new frontier, and also. Let's face it, a lot of the people that were playing the kind of games that I was playing are not the youngest. <laughs> and and as a consequence, they're likely to you know, need those larger fonts and maybe have a few mobility issues that be a bit shaky and all the rest of it. So so maybe that's you know another frontier for 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 gaming is to say, how do we how do we take what has been beautifully done? In, in the sort of console gaming and, and PC gaming world and, and look to start to emulate that for some of us old gits that like to play games on mobile phones. <laughs> no, it's definitely, it's an area that like I personally am getting more involved in ramping up in. There are people who know more about mobile gaming than uh, I do. And it's been, oh, hi Deborah, look, she magically disappeared. <laughs> It's there, there are things that um, we have to work on and learn because there are unique challenges from, you know, the touchscreen and how to use that to, uh, you know, making sure like legibility is a huge thing. I mean, between literally like half the time, my phone is so covered in smears of like, whatever I've been eating that day anyway. <laughs> like, you know, it's so both like literal situational accessibility is big before you even start adding in uh, people's disabilities on top of it. And uh, frankly, I'm terrified because I'm just like, oh my God, there's so many things I can see here that could be inaccessible. It makes me anxious. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, for, for, for sure. Um, you know, uh, and and there was you know a few occasions where I've been sort of the player advocate sort of especially fonts <laughs> especially fonts and tiny screens and late at night when you're tired anyway and everything's going, oh. so so I think that yeah it will be interesting and then the other area where I think things converge also is is sort of all in the sort of immersive and augmented reality stuff that is super interesting. I don't know whether you've come across Cognition um, and Andreas Forsland, but they're, they've got, you know, it's a, a VR headset with BC, with a brain control interface. So it's like what they call assisted reality. And I just think that, you know, if you haven't met already, we should introduce you because that is an area where essentially, you know, if you're looking at all of these sort of immersive games and virtual reality, that's there's, huge opportunity to go to that next level by you know, using sort of thought waves and everything else. I haven't done a lot of VR um, because I get really motion sick. Me too. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a huge struggle. And so like, I know some things like yeah. I, I have played VR, but I normally don't. And 
you know, I know some basics about like what to do in VR accessibility. Honestly, there are, uh, there have already been a few great talks, but uh, it's a space that I'm like, let's not be, let's, do we have to do VR like as an industry? Can we like, maybe not? Cause I don't want to puke. Yeah. That's why I don't play first person shooters because I just end up spinning around and, and, and getting vertigo. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm with you, but I think they're going to go there because it's, you know, if there's a new technology, we're going to use it. So, and I think that the brain computer interface stuff is, 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 is actually super interesting. Um, particularly, interested in doing that in a, a non-invasive way thank you no thank you elon musk i'm not gonna go for neuralink um <laughs> can you imagine letting elon musk operate <laughs> on your head and, no i have absolutely no interest in that <laughs> not at all <laughs> like, oh, no. no 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 yeah okay so Thank you, Cara. Anyway, on that note, you know, let's let's end it on a high or low note, depending on which way we think about it. And, um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you back, and really look forward to you joining us on Twitter to for for the Twitter chat. Need to thank my clear text for keeping us captioned and accessible, and thank you again. It's been a real pleasure. No, thank you so much for having me back. I was really excited to be able to be like, look, here is all the good news since last time I was here. It was so fun. It's been brilliant. Thank you.